Hello, and welcome back to the One Final Note podcast. I'm host one Aaron. And I'm host two Edward. And today we're going to be taking a look at a very new segment called... Humble Beginnings. And Ed, tell them a little bit about it. This is a segment I brainstormed a while back, just thinking about how varied an artist's sound can be throughout their career. Like, you know them for one sound, but you may not know what they originally started sounding like. Yes. So I'm going to take the reins here with the first pick. So everyone... At least anyone who's listened to his music is familiar with Michael Bolton. Absolutely. Blue-Eyed Soul. Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. Instant classic, How Am I Supposed to Live Without You. Yes. What you may not know is that he was a full-fledged rock singer. And he had a band back in the day called Blackjack. The last U.S. tour Black Sabbath did with their original lineup with Ozzy, that band opened up for them. That's insane. And then he did almost like a folk rock sort of first debut album. But what I'm going to play you is like his rock album. Probably one of my favorite songs ever. Is this from Blackjack? This is not from Blackjack. This is from his solo career. It's called Fool's Game. And I'll let you, we're about to let go and let Aaron listen to this. And we'll be back with his thoughts. All right. And we're back. So that was Fool's Game. By Michael Bolton. Aaron, what were your thoughts? Um, well, first of all, all I can say is, wow. Um, did this get any sort of airplay? I don't, they made a music video, but I don't think it played on the radio. Okay, because there's no reason that that shouldn't have been on the radio. That is an absolute bop. In my agree. opinion. You know, it's dated, no doubt. Oh, definitely that, dated. You know, product of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still sounds like Michael Bolton. He's got those, no! You know, yeah, he's got that raw like, power in his voice. Yeah, and it comes from the gut, you know, f- with Michael Bolton. Uh-huh. And that I really did enjoy that way more than I thought I would. Like, I guess it just sounds like, uh, you know, sounds like a stereotypical like. I don't want to compare him to Journey, but it's almost like that rock radio but formula. Just like, yeah, pop rock radio, yeah. and uh, nothing wrong with that because it yeah, really wrong with that. There is no reason. I think it would have been even better for Michael Bolton's sake, that if he got big off of stuff like that and then started doing adult contemporary, you know, like... Maybe in his later years. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I I would have liked him a lot more if he would have stuck with that rock sound, I would agree, but then we might not have Jack Sparrow. Yeah, we wouldn't have Jack Sparrow. We wouldn't have How Am I Supposed to Live Without You. Why Can't We Be Lovers If We Can't Be Friends. I love that song. And I loved that song. That was absolutely awesome. And then, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with any like Canadian artists from the 80s. Uh, are you familiar with the name Aldo Nova? I don't think so, no. I played this for my dad, and he was curious. He's like, is, this, is Aldo Nova on this track? And I look it up. He's actually on the album, but not on this song. He's <laughs> like a... He has the song called Fantasy. I'll play that for you some other time, but okay. it's just like, it's something similar to this. It's cool. It's a really good song, and I would pay money just to see that song and leave. It's yeah, like that no good doubt. of a song. So what what's your first song um, you brought today? So this one, I'm kind of throwing you a curveball here, and don't think this is because I didn't understand the assignment, because I did, but um, this one has to do with a singer who's not singing on the song, actually. Okay. Um, so as we all know... Uh, the absolute mad lad from Michigan himself, Iggy Pop, frontman of the Stooges, you know, solo career. Um, he started as the drummer in a blues band. And I know if you, if you saw 
Gimme Danger, Danger. that he was in a band called The Iguanas, which is where he got Iggy from. But did you know that before, he was in a band called the Prime Movers Blues Band? I do not think so. I remember The Iguanas, but I don't remember this. The Prime Movers Blues Band was a blues band that played like seven to ten minute blues jams. And Iggy was the drummer before he was... Iggy Pop, he was just James Osterberg. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just want you to hear how somebody that is known for how crazy they can be on stage has to be relegated to behind the kit playing, oh, yeah. you know, steady blues, blues. Any other notable names on this track or just him? Uh, I don't believe so. I think just him. Uh, but it's absolutely insane. You would never be able to tell that Iggy Pop was a part of this band if if you'd like to hear it. Well, I'm I'm really re- I'm really ready to hear it. All right, so excellent. Let, let's get to it. Wrapped up listening to Iggy Pop drumming on the Prime Movers Blues Band cover of BB King's "Every Day I Have the Blues." And uh, Ed, what did you think? I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have known it was him unless you told me. But now that I, you've told me. I can definitely hear some of the flair and the cymbal hits, and especially the kick drum. Like you can hear him oh, yeah. really getting into it's it. Like, boom, 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 While boom, it might boom, be boom. just a standard cover, as many of those blues bands did back in the '60s, mm-hmm. it just—it's it, really cool to see how much of a how how different of a start he had yeah. to his illustrious career. And it's definitely like it's recorded at like a roller rink or something, right? You know, it's yeah, not, it makes makes perfect sense. Terrible, but yeah, they're um, not at Abbey Road or anything. Yeah, it's, no. it's just. But like I told so, you, it's yeah. just interesting to hear somebody who has so much chaotic energy raw in, power, in front of yeah, raw power, if you will, in front of the you know in front of the kit rather than you know behind being, it. Yeah, rather than it's almost like this. the cage holding him back. Exactly. Yeah. So I because he's know, not going to rub peanut butter on his drumsticks. No, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. But you know that. Again, uh, the other ones I have for you include vocalists, but that was just one that I thought was interesting. It is very interesting, and that has blown my mind. I'm glad. So, my next pick is Alanis Morissette. While you might know her as the queen of alternative rock in the mid to late 90s, she had a very different start. At 17 years old, she was signed to do two dance pop albums. And let's just say they're really weird. And that's all I can really say. Well, and it I inspired love... her to write Jagged Little Pill and then change her course of direction forever. That's kind of funny because, you know, Liz Fair had the opposite. It yeah. was an awesome alternative album and then a dance pop album. Yeah. And I love dance pop. I'll take Oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just oh, no, different from what they're different doing. Different to hear from Alanis Morissette. I'm very excited to hear so this. So this song is called Too Hot, and we'll be right back with Aaron's Thoughts. And that was Too Hot by Alanis Morissette. Aaron, what would you like to say about it? Uh, I uh, would say that that song was not too hot, personally. A um, little, little too cold? Yeah. it's uh, It was catchy, no doubt That's, about that. That was pop. And whenever we were listening, what were you doing? Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? W- weren't you dancing? I, I was dancing. So it achieved its purpose I, of dance pop. It did achieve its purpose, yes. Um, but... It sounded like I can see why that didn't take off. Cause it sounds just like Paul it, Abdul. It's, yeah, that, Alanis Abdul. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally what it is. And yeah, yeah. It was just she was just trying to make you. I mean, she was really young too, seventeen oh, going yeah. into this thing. I mean, obviously, no faults of her own. Yeah. Um, but one thing I could notice is her inflection in some of the quieter parts. I can hear Alanis, how we know her, 
blossoming. Mm-hmm. The pre-chorus, especially, do that. I just, yeah. uh, her voice is just so great. And uh, very iconic. Do, you can pick her voice out. Do you crowd. think if she, <laughs> let's just say in an alternate universe, she put this on Jagged Little Pill but gave it the alternative twist, do you think it would hit? Yeah, absolutely. That would be... It'd be um, really cool. Maybe just switch that out for ironic. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really but funny. But I even um, noticed, like, I was thinking about Jagged Little Pill, and a lot of them do have that pre-programmed, like, swing beat on it. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't, this is a far cry from Jagged Little Pill. Well, oh, yes. But it's not a complete far cry from it, you know? Yeah, it, she was still growing as a songwriter yeah, and everything. Absolutely. I mean, the lyrical content, like, like the chorus... Always too hot, never too cold. You make your best shot too hot to hold. Like, yeah. That's not as, you it's know. Not, it's not as it's deep like as. like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> or, or as deep as there is water at the bottom of the ocean. Yes. <laughs> it's just not, not lyrically deep, but still really catchy. And I yes. catch myself humming this all the time. Oh, yeah. That'll be stuck in my head for a year. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think the reason it didn't take off sounded like most other dance pop Exactly. Time, all the new Jack swing. Yeah, exactly. But it was getting old really fast. Yes, it very much was. So your uh, second pick. Now. My second pick. I'll keep it in the um, female artist spectrum for okay. you here. Let's uh, go. We all know Fergie is, you know, a uh, she. She kind of has done that pop rap type thing, whether it be her solo career or with the Black Eyed Peas. And a lot of people do know this, but not not you know some people don't know she actually started in a female pop group called Wild Orchid, and. They uh, aren't very good. <laughs> um, and it's kind of just like straight up girl pop. This is made to sell records, put butts in seats. Nothing interesting about it. Nothing artistic. But it's just kind of interesting to see how she went from this to something like The Duchess, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially so, with Duchess being one of the greatest albums to ever exist. I would agree. Um, <laughs> so we're going to check out Wild Orchid's song, My Tambourine. Oh, snap. And uh, we're going to get Ed's thoughts in just a minute here. Let's get into it. Well, my friend, do you want to play her tambourine or what? Not really. And I have a really weird way of describing this song to the people at home. This is like if the Spice Girls tried to play Fame by David Bowie. I couldn't agree more. That's coming from a man who kisses the very ground the Spice Girls walk on. Um, I to me, I don't know if it predates the Spice Girls or not. Um, but you know, they go for that pop R and B thing on this track, mm-hmm. um, which the Spice Girls I think did very well. Oh, they did, yeah. Um, this is not. Yeah, it's not. At it's all. catchy and it's produced yeah, beautifully. Exactly. The lyrical Just... content is awful very um what did you notice about fergie's voice because she did the first verse well yeah she she still sounds strong i mean not as strong as she is now but she did have a really great blueprint for what she was going to do with the black eyed peas and her solo stuff and then she was also doing some rock stuff in the later end of the 2000s early 2010s yeah like uh if you've seen shrek 3 they do a montage where they're like charging the castle or whatever to barracuda barracuda which is covered which is a heart cover by Fergie. Yeah, I had no idea that was a cover. Yeah, um, it's... I, Yeah, one thing that I noticed about that song, re-listening to it, and we talked about it a little bit, Fergie's still doing that R&B voice even then. Mm-hmm. You know, she's definitely yeah. the strongest singer out of the three girls, I think, oh, yeah. of that. Um, but 
I, I just wanted you to experience uh, Fergie asking you to play your tambourine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know when in my real life that'll ever happen. <laughs> just, she just walks up holding the tambourine. I'm going to make sure I take a huge left turn. Yes. All right. Oh, so what do you got for me? Number three. Uh, you remember the good old days of Maroon 5 when they rocked? I don't. <laughs> not, I'm not talking just songs about Jane. I'm talking before they were even Maroon 5. Oh. They were a post-grunge band called Kara's Flowers. And uh, I, I, saw the, I saw the motion you made. <laughs> well, they turned from post-grunge to power pop, and that's how I found, it, found out about it. Well, I'm a sucker for power pop. Yeah, I, it, it's really, really good. Like, it would, I would say like this is like a Weezer demo that they found and really? covered it. It's just that catchy of a song. It's probably in my top 50 as well as Fool's Game. Wow. I just absolutely loved it. The, the music video, if you ever see the music video, you'll see how young they all are, you know? Because mm-hmm. this came out in the late 90s before Songs About Jane was even a, a thought in their head. Yeah. So, but this is a song called Soap Disco, and we'll be right back with Aaron's thoughts. So that was Soap Disco by Kara's Flowers that were now to be Maroon 5. Aaron, what are your thoughts? I was very, very impressed with that. That did not sound like Maroon 5. Adam Levine's voice sounded so different. You could hear it in spots. If you're listening for it, you can hear it. it. Yes. If you're not listening for it, you can't hear it. That guitar solo sounded like a Weezer guitar solo. And it sounded, yeah, it's it's got that 90s power pop vibe with like the Weezer Fountains of Wayne yes, came to mind absolutely. as well. Um, I feel like if they would have stuck with this sound, they would probably be just as big, I would say. You think so? See, I would think so. I mean, just inflecting all that little reggae stuff that they were doing, I think it was a cool idea, but if they would have just kept with that, you know? Because, so, this is oh, this isn't an attempt at, at a diss at Maroon 5, because they do have, you know, a well of bangers that they can oh, yes. draw Absolutely. from. I don't know how they still manage to be as relevant as they are, because I think that each album since Overexposed has gotten worse than the last, worse than the oh, last, yes, worse than yeah. the last, worse than the last. I can't even tell you the name of the last two albums they dropped. Yeah, exactly. And, um, they, and they've apparently dropped two since five. Yeah, which is nuts. Five had a couple bangers, though. Oh, yeah. Sugar, um, Animals. Yeah. Maps was okay. I liked but... Maps a lot. Um, but I think that this came too late in the in pop culture. If this came out around the same time as Weezer and Fountains of Wayne, we'd I mean, be that's dealing... when they formed, was whenever when Weezer formed. dropped the Blue Album. When this came that... out in 97, so okay. this was post-Pinkerton. Yeah, so... This was right after the debut of Fountains of Wayne, too, so... Okay, well then maybe they would be as big then. But, um, I don't know. I don't know how how long they could have rode a career. I mean, because Fountains of Wayne didn't really have... They, they were one-hit wonder six years, seven years after they dropped their debut. Yeah. And I hate to call them one-hit wonders because they have so many other great oh, songs. Oh, yeah, they're, you know? they're really, really good. They're, that whole album, Welcome Interstate Managers. They're, they're, they really honed their craft, and they make, I don't want to call them timeless because they haven't been around that long, but really, really great songs. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but, yeah, so I don't know how long it would have lasted had they done it, but I think they could have gotten pretty big over that. I feel sure. like if they would have kept that sound and did songs about Jane, like maybe closer to the end of this end of the 2000s mm-hmm. that way we wouldn't have to listen to the last three albums yeah right um but yeah i was very impressed with that that will definitely be going into my rotation and be a pullout of like uh did you know that maroon 5 was actually Kara's as you push in the glasses yes exactly <laughs> actually yeah 
So you're number three. Uh, what I've got next for you, for the penultimate um, one that I've got for you, uh, Frank Turner, uh, indie alternative singer-songwriter who, uh, you know, he's famous for his kind of storytelling, uh, you know, vocals and stuff like that, like his song Recovery, which is a great song. Um, he was actually in a punk post-hardcore band before he started doing alternative indie singer-songwriter music. And he's absolutely great. My parents got to see him open for Social Distortion, which wow. is cool. Um, but he's completely changed his sound now. He was in a band called Million Dead, and he was the lead singer of the band called Million Dead. And after Million Dead fizzled out, he started his solo career, and now, as I said, alternative singer-songwriter. So I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on uh, this what Frank Turner used to be doing before stuff like recovery or uh, anything like it. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting, and I love a lot of post-hardcore stuff, so this will definitely be, if it's good, something I'll add in my rotation. Yes. So let's get started. That was Million Dead with their song Charlie and the Propaganda Machine <laughs> um, and Frank Turner's original band. Uh, and Ed, I, I know you're a post-hardcore guy. Hit me with what you thought. That was really, really good. I loved the energy of it. Where, where's Frank Turner from? I believe Ireland. Ireland? I don't know why. It sounded like La Dispute to me a little bit. Really? Yeah, I That's got a lot of La Dispute. Like, before he got into the screaming, it almost had, like, the spoken word. Yeah. Like, I think I saw you in my sleep, darling. It just reminded me of that, and I love La I'm sorry, Dispute. he's British. I'm an idiot. He's British, not Irish. But well, uh, It's still not American. Yes, absolutely. So, it's just it's just really cool to hear that, and I remember you mentioning it's like at the drive-in. Yeah, it's it's I love the vibe. The lyrics weren't all that great, but it was still good. No, he's kind of just talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like a spoken word piece put over aggressive music, which is awesome. I like stuff like that sometimes, yes. you know. And like compared to someone something like the song "Recovery" or something off of Tape Deck Heart, it's, it's like a, a complete, complete polar opposites. Yes, polar opposites. So I'm glad you liked that one. I I'm yeah. a big fan of that. If you like that, you. You should uh, check that out. Check that yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding that album after this for sure. So my last pick of the day will probably be the one you're most familiar with. The Beastie Boys. They were a, they're a rap group. You know, everybody knows them for their rap stuff. <laughs> they have their rock songs here and there, like "Fight for Your Right" and "Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun." But they were actually a hardcore punk band before being a rap group and that's crazy because they even incorporated elements of like funk jazz and stuff like yeah they that were just all around great musicians yeah and to think they started off in the hardcore punk movement they went in three years from opening to the opening for the bad brains to opening up for madonna it's yeah. just you don't hear a lot of artists do that no it's really cool so the song i brought was uh, egg raid on mojo okay we're about to jam that and get aaron's thoughts sounds good so that was Egg Raid on Mojo by the Beastie Boys, previous hardcore band turned rap group. Aaron, what were your thoughts on that? So I was familiar with a little of their uh, material when they were a hardcore punk group, like the song Beastie Boys, you know, a great song. Um, but that was a, that was awesome. That just sounded like, you know, Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys, you know, obviously a little, no, no political message. like Yeah, just more tame. Dead Kennedys. And that's, that's putting it lightly. Yeah, um, but... Absolutely visceral, you know. Um, you can hear though that whichever member is on lead vocals. I'm pretty sure it was Mike D. Yeah, not comfortable with his voice all the time. Yeah. Um, and this, I mean, the same thing happens to anybody. You think you're singing too loud, and then you 
you know, you kind of yeah. recluse back. But that was awesome. I'm glad that they kept a, a similar level of energy throughout their Yeah, whether, whatever, whatever genre they attempted, you know. Oh, yeah, it was always awesome. full of stuff like that. They even had stuff later on, like Time for Living off of uh, Pat... Wait, what's, what's the name of that album that had So What You Want? Uh, check your head. Check your head. They had the song "Time for Living." It's like a perfect skateboarding punk song. Yeah, it's awesome. I agree. Um, and I'm sure that uh, the um, so I think it's Ad Rock that's married to Kathleen Hanna. Yeah, Bikini Kathleen Kill. Hanna from Bikini Kill. So I'm sure that she really digs that oh, yeah. stuff, that older stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, that that was really good. I I got to recheck that stuff out. Um, and didn't they do the Aglioli EP a few years into the rap thing that was kind of like a harken back? I to believe the, so. Yes, it's been a while since I've listened to it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I remember that. Yes, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. Let's get to your last one. My last pick is the. P-Funk Thumposaurus's man, Parliament Funkadelic, the Thumposaurus peoples. You know, um, but before they were Parliament or Funkadelic, George Clinton had kind of this soulful doo-wop group uh, called the Parliaments, hence the name, mm-hmm. eventually. And they recorded most of their stuff in Detroit, and the song I'm going to show you is called I'll Wait, not to be confused with, you know, Van Halen's I'll Van Wait. Van Halen's I'll Wait. Um, but I'll let you know right now, even though I say doo-wop group, you'll hear that a little bit, but this is very different for a doo-wop artist. Yeah, I mean, he's a revolutionary artist. I don't expect anything less. Absolutely. So, So here we go. Uh, I'll wait by the parliaments. I'll wait by the parliaments. What did you think? I definitely heard the doo-wop, like you said, but it was so ahead of the curve whenever it came to doo-wop. I mean, I heard... I could probably hear Marvin Gaye sing this song. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely got that Motown vibe, even though not being on Motown Records, as I was just informed. Yes. Um... Uh, they were like a, the Parliaments were just like a group that had a couple singles released. There was never ever a comprehensive album or anything. Only nowadays has there been, you know, like a compilation released. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh, I think it's really interesting that we went from that smooth, sultry stuff to tear the roof off the sucker, you know? Exactly, yeah. But still, very excellent, I thought. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. And then speaking of Motown, I have a special surprise for you. I just remembered whenever you brought up the Parliaments, thinking of Detroit, there was a certain group that came, like, they they started in 65 and then they broke up in 66. There's quite a, there's there's like three legends in this group, and you would never think they would work together. I'm not going to say their names right now. Okay. The group is called the Mina Birds. And this song is called I'll Wait Forever. Here we go. All right, we're back after listening to I'll Wait Forever by the Mina Birds. So let's get your thoughts before we play the little guessing game. I really liked it. I liked the kind of like driving beat on it. Um, I couldn't pick out who was on it. Like you said that there were legends in it. I don't know if one of them was the singer or not. Well, who did the singer sound like to you? uh, I don't even know. Uh, Like... It just kind of sounded like most of the stuff that was going on at the time. So I, I really don't know. Well, the vocalist was Rick James of Super Freak fame. <laughs> like, okay, that's awesome. And then uh, Neil Young was on the guitar. No way. And then the other guitar player from Buffalo Springfield was on in the band as well. Oh, my God. It's just, yeah, you just never think that these things happen. No. And the way that the band deteriorated was... 
Uh, their manager sold out Rick James for avoiding the draft because he moved to Canada. Yikes, yeah. He gets arrested, and then the manager steals all the money from the band, overdoses, and dies. Oh, my God. It's just absolutely insane, that story. And, and then Neil Young and the other guy went over to the West Coast, met up with Stephen Stills, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's insane. Because uh, I know that Neil's Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rick James is from, like, New York or something. And then yeah. he moved up to avoid the draft. God, I would not, like you said, I would not expect those guys to work together. Exactly. It's just, really neat. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. That was yeah. a very good improv. Thanks for sharing, me, sharing with me your songs Absolutely, as well. man. That was a fun so. segment. We'll definitely be doing that again. Oh, yeah. we got to just do more research and try to find everything in every nook and cranny. Yes, absolutely. So, so on that one final note... Thank you, and goodbye. Yes. <laughs>